electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now, live in the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight, Fang bites the dust, the group losing more than a half a trillion dollars since hitting highs. But one top technician says one of these names is a screaming buy. Plus, one of Wall Street's biggest bulls is turning bearish. He will be here to explain what has him running scared. But we start off with the market rally, the Dow jumping. 200 points as trade talks with Mexico continue ahead of Monday's deadline. The Dow is now up more than 900 points on track for its best week of the year. But the true test comes tomorrow. It is the final countdown to the jobs report. We are less than 16 hours away from what could be the most important moment for the markets this year as investors wait to see if the report will signal the Fed's next move. So with Wall Street betting on a Fed rate cut or two this year, Will the jobs report give the Fed the green light, Guy? Welcome back. Thanks. Great to be you back. Know, you're missed when you're not here. Joe Kernan does yeoman's work, but it's Which this one is, is Joe? He's Joe. The guy with the hair does <laughs> the, the morning, morning show. He Walk has hair. Yeah. That clears it up because there's a lot of thing people that think he Welcome doesn't. Welcome back. And that ahead, song me. is a miserable song, number I two. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. So we'll play it the whole entire show. Whenever you talk, it's going to go on. Anyway, be a good green show. light. Listen, the Fed doesn't need the jobs report to have a green light. I mean, they, they told you everything they need to know in terms of targeting inflation. BK has talked about it. I think they're on the wrong path. It doesn't matter what I think. But Pete <laughs> said something yesterday that sticks with me. Peter just turned around. Wow. You know, the machines that take the market down over the last couple of weeks, the same machines that are taking it higher, they pick a couple words out and the market's off to the races. Today the word was, you know what, maybe the things with Mexico push it off. Maybe we'll have some further conversations. That works in the opposite as well. And I think you could see that tomorrow. Tomorrow could be a day, and Seymour said this yesterday, where good news is bad news, and maybe bad news is actually bad news for the first time in a while. Dan, what do you say? Yeah, I don't think, listen, a good number I don't think crushes the market by any means. And I don't think a number that is below, listen, you got to remember last month we had this huge uptick. We had this 263 well above the multi-year average. So I think if you're looking at this the proper way, you're going to smooth out some of these numbers. You're not going to take them month to month. I don't think it's that big of a deal tomorrow. I think it actually flies in the face of the narrative that the administration would like to see. They love seeing these good jobs numbers and saying jobs, jobs, jobs. And if all of a sudden they're starting to see that some of their tariff threats are slowing the economy here and therefore justifying a rate cut that they also want. Obviously, very confusing. Stay with me here, Pete. Um, you know, then you we have me at 263. Well, but, but what I'm saying is, is that I, yeah. I think that it's a difficult narrative here. I think trade is the most important thing. I don't think one jobs mm. number that flies in the face of what we saw last month is going to change what the yeah, Fed does. See, I don't I don't think trade. I do think trade matters because obviously it's affected the charts. I do think we, you, you'd be an idiot to say it doesn't matter. But I think at the end of the day, it's the Fed. The Fed stays soft. The market goes higher. That's it. End of story. Isn't this all the same conversation, though? The Fed has turned more dovish, or the markets believe the Fed has turned more dovish because of these trade threats, because of the tariff threats, right? Uh, I I don't know if you could make it the same. I I hear you. It's an argument that you chase your tail on. But I do believe that the reason why we sold off in the fall was the reason based on the Fed. There might have been a 20% trade issue. So, yes, you can combine the two. He stays soft. The market goes higher. But for right now, what's it all about? 
I mean, is it the Fed? Is it trade? Are they one and the same? I think it's trade. And, and, the, and the idea that it's not just China anymore, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it's literally, President Trump has made it very clear that it's not just a China story, it's a Mexican story. It's, it's the rest of the world against the United States in terms of the tariff talk and all the rest of it. So I think trade is still number one. I think Powell and the Fed is obviously still sitting there somewhere not too far away, but they're the second part of this equation right now, I think. And I do think that at some point, are they going to do two or three? From what we're hearing in terms of cuts, what are we really looking at right now? And is it going to be something as soon as June? Because if so, Mel, that is an incredibly short period of time where we raised back in December, and then here it is in June, is and we're already going to cut. The shortest amount of time, 155 yeah. days between two moves in opposite directions but, but since you say, 1995. If yeah. you say it's trade, then what was the last two days about? If trade is the number Algorithms. one thing. So, well, what were they based on? They were based on the Fed, right? right? The Fed making the, its first pivot since the January pivot or December pivot. So it can't be about trade. Can't, trade can't be the most important thing. Well, I mean, listen, we were obviously pretty oversold. Sentiment was getting really bad. I think that Thursday, last Thursday, a week ago, that's when we got these surprise threats about tariffs on one of our you know, biggest trading partners and obviously not an adversary, but one of our allies right before we're su supposed to re-ratify this NAFTA deal. So to me, that was out of left field. That would be very bad for them to put these tariffs in place on Monday because then you start thinking about, okay, then you have to think about corporate earnings, right? You have to think about, all right, as we get into Q2 earnings, season in July, what does second half guidance look like, right? And so what are these tariffs that people are trying to factor into their spending and all this sort of stuff? How is it weighing on the consumer? What does that mean for the global economy? Is there anybody who can win this protracted sort of stalemate if it's not a trade war? That's really, I think, what starts weighing on risk assets over the course of the summer if we do not have a substantive deal at some point by, I don't know, the fall. But they keep buying time, too. I mean, isn't that something that we just continue to watch? Like, even the deal with Mexico right now, isn't we, that a bad thing for the market, though? I mean, you can't it tell, keeps, tell me that on second quarter conference calls, companies are going to give clear guidance for the rest of the year because right. we still won't does know whether cover? or not the next round of tariffs. But doesn't it give them cover? It does and give them and cover. And, 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 and when you talk to traders, don't traders think, all right, well, the same way that Brexit was the hot topic for so long, and then no one cares about Brexit until you have something done. So they say, Brexit, I got it. I'll be concerned. Yeah. Tell me when Steve, to be concerned. Has it given, has, has it given um, FedEx cover? Has it given no. U.S. steel cover? Has it given? It's, there's no shortage you look at the of macro. Names. you got to look at the macro market. Yes, there are internals that aren't healthy, but those are internals. You have large cap tech that's been suffering. I agree with you. There's a lot of companies that cannot escape the trade target on their back. For investors, though, who have to think about companies' future earnings, like the next two quarters after the second quarter, does it does it give companies cover to not give guidance? Of course it does. Why would you really? give guidance in this environment? I mean, there's so no if a company, reason. So if a company said, if a company said to you, situation fluid, we're not going to give guidance for the rest of the year, even though it's a company I'm that not normally gives guidance. Gonna, they're not going to say we're not going to give guidance for the rest of the year, but they, can, they have the air cover of Chinese tariff talks, Mexico tariff talks, you know, all the different things that are going on in the world, the situation in Europe. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, companies can absolutely hide behind that, and I think a lot of them have. I'll say this, though. I understand the markets rallied this week, and it's, everybody's extraordinarily excited. They should be. But are you really excited about an XLU utilities index making an all-time high in this environment? You really can't be. Gold continues to rally. Pete brought that up yesterday. We've been talking about it for weeks. And a name like Procter & Gamble. I mean, Procter & Gamble is about to make an all-time high. A company trades 23 times next year's earnings. That valuation in this environment makes zero sense, but people are reaching. I don't think that's particularly healthy. Let's say we get a good jobs number tomorrow. 
do we think about the jobs number and the quality of the number that we get tomorrow and whether or not it is more likely that the Mexican tariffs will be put on on Monday? And, and, I, and I put that forth because for a while, President Trump could bank on the Fed cutting rates. I mean, right now, that's what Fed funds futures are pricing in. Two cuts this year or so, maybe three I think cuts that's, this I year. Think that's a, I think that's maybe that's Maybe that's... I think that chapter the for the week that? is over. I think the chapter on what where the Fed is is over. I don't think a good number or a bad number we'll change matters. It at all. Either way, I, I'll take the opposite, that good is not bad. I think, I think good and bad are both good tomorrow. Despite the Fed euphoria, one of Wall Street's biggest bulls is turning bearish. Let's bring in Jonathan Golub, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, good to see you. Good to see you. Are you, in fact, turning bearish? I don't know if I'm turning bearish, but I will tell you, I, th- I think that there's part of this conversation that's, that's being missed. If you took the Fed out entirely and you took trade out entirely, we have really lousy economic data. And what you've had for really since September is the Fed is bullish and bearish and bullish and bearish. And then we, we're on and we're not going to, you know, you know, have a problem with China. And we are. But if you put that aside, we've had a hundred and ten basis point drop in the 10 year bond yield since November. You've looked at the ISM, which has gone from 60 to you know, a little over 51. You have industrial production rolling. And that's the good stuff because that's in the United States. It's weaker abroad. And so I think the, the key here is, you know, there's, there's risk to the downside on the economics. And I think that that's getting kind of obscured by all of this conversation on short-term news flow. So in terms of getting more cautious on the markets, is that causing you to rethink where the markets end the year? Yeah, I don't think so. But I'll tell you what I, what I wouldn't be doing. And, and listen, I've been on the show before where every time the volatility goes wild, one of you guys basically, and I say, you want to buy into this volatility, it's going to resolve itself. This is the one time in a long time I'm saying, I wouldn't be buying in right now until you get this data to stop deteriorating. So if you see more downward pressure on interest rates, on inflation, I'd be holding off for a better opportunity. Do I think that this all resolves itself fine? Yes, but I'm not sure I'd be buying today. Jonathan, but I don't think it's missed. And respectfully, what I would push back and say, the reason why the internals have been so bad, the numbers have been so bad, is because of this China tariff situation that's been going on since last March. A lot of this, a lot of people say the reason why things are slowing down is because of what's happening between these two superpowers. I, I think there's some of that. But, you know, first of all, what, what's the big issue? We had a huge boost to the economy coming from the tax cuts, coming from a spending bill, and that's rolling off. And that was probably, the, you know, two-thirds of the, of the weakening of the economy is the fact that we're losing that. Why is it that Europe has been weaker or, or, or you know, the rest of the world's been weaker? Because they didn't have that boost that they were, that they were losing. So, yes, is this trade weighing absolutely right now? How do, how do companies make a long-term capital commitment on retooling a plant or deciding whether to put something in one country or another? I think that they have no choice but to sit on their hands. Um, but I think if you, you know, if you get beyond this, what the reality is, is that um, it's, it, it has to be about the economics. And right now, whether it's trade or something else, the, the economic data, and just look at interest rates, inflation expectations, are just sloppy. Do I think this works out fine? Yes, but I wouldn't be. But I wouldn't be going and jumping in today if I have a little. You know, if we have a so little tiny. So, as a trader, whenever you say the market's got it wrong, I'm thinking about it right. You're usually wrong. So, when what is? I'm not saying you're wrong. Okay. But when you look at the overall market the last couple of days, does it make you feel as if the market doesn't care about the internals right now? It's macro. Yeah. I mean, well, listen. In, in the near term, the the the, the news flow is going to dominate everything. And what's really very hard to do is to say if we simply put aside the Fed and, and trade, what would this thing look like? 
But, you know, I think that's what you have to do, because if anybody thinks that they can predict what Donald Trump is going to do with Mexico, you know, I, I'd like to meet that guy, because I just, in my confidence on that, or whether or not we're going to get one move, or th- you talked about three moves. Possibly. How do you, I mean, how do you know? I'll tell you what the market know, what market's telling you, because you can buy and sell this in a futures market. Market's saying between now and the end of 2020, four Fed rate cuts is what the market's saying. If you got one or two, that means the market would be disappointed. That means the Fed is off sides right now in terms of interest rates. Yeah. Jonathan, thank you. Good to see you. Jonathan Golub. I, I guess the, the issue is this. So we know we have a Fed meeting coming up in a few weeks here, and the Fed fund futures are pricing about a 25% chance of a cut. If they cut, that would be a big surprise. I think that is not something that investors of risk assets would feel pretty favorably about because we're not at a point, especially if this week's jobs or last month's jobs data is not a huge negative surprise, that sort of thing. So I think surprise rate cuts in the next couple months is very bad for equities. I think when you think about that double top that we have at 29.45, I think there's plenty of room to bang around between between 2945 and 2600. And I think you're going to get opportunities to buy it at Jonathan's levels to get back up maybe a year from now if things bottom out towards his $3,000. What'd you uh, do today? You know, the best thing I did today was a lot of trimming. Because, you know, when, when you see the markets moving around like we have, we've had a lot of great trading days, quite frankly. And I think a lot of it, when I say algorithmic trading, when we're moving as fast as we are, like the other day, going up 500 plus points and now total 900 points in just a few days. That creates some of the opportunities to now take off some of those positions. So that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm taking off more positions. The one thing that I actually added to today, actually rolled up and added to today, was the GLD. And I know that sounds extremely defensive. It's something the guy knows a lot about in terms of the metals markets. But a lot of people, we've seen paper in GLD. We've seen a lot of paper in the silver stocks as well. So is that an area where people are starting to flock to because they feel like there's a little bit of safety there, Mel? Maybe so. All I know is we're seeing huge sums of money going in the derivatives markets in those directions. All right. Coming up, check out the After Hours Action Beyond Meat, Zoom video, and PagerDuty all out with their first earnings report since going public. I should say quarterly results. We've got the details next. Plus, the FANG fallout, the group of stocks all spiraling downward. And one top technician says they are dead money except for one stock. He'll give us the name. And later, oil bouncing back today, but it's still down more than 30% from its highs. Just how low can it go? The traders will weigh in. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a special earnings whip with shares of Beyond Meat and Zoom Video both on the move off their first 
uh, quarterly results since going public. Jane Wells is back at headquarters digging into Beyond Meat while Deirdre Bose is in San Francisco with the latest on Zoom. Jane, kick things off. Uh, Melissa, I was just getting off the call. Stuff that isn't in the earnings report that the company went over. They are seeing 40 percent to 50 percent repeat rates of the Beyond Merker burger in certain markets. They don't have a whole lot of information on customer repeats, but they are seeing some of that. And that's what they told us. Uh, the company says Q2 and Q3 will be the strongest quarters of the year. They will account for 55 percent of net sales. So I expect to see some changes in the way the analysts have had uh, the year laid out so far. Uh, the company says it has tripled manufacturing capacity since last summer. And when asked about how it is having full year guidance that goes beyond $210 million, here's what CEO Ethan Brown said. We're being very conservative. I view this as a floor. I, I believe that um, it's important to note that we really don't count in our forecasts onboarding of customers until we are in post-trial distribution. See, that's important. They don't start counting that in their guidance until these trials and tests at places like Tim Hortons, which is going on right now, have been completed. And Ethan Brown said they have several tests coming up that he cannot comment about. And then when those tests are completed, they will fold it into guidance. Also, fresh, fresh out driving frozen. It's all about the fresh, especially Beyond Burger. They actually quit having their frozen chicken strips in the first quarter, and that's one reason why frozen sales fell. Expect more changes, more products. They're iterating as they go. He talked about something that he called the Manhattan Beach Project, which is a SoCal version of the Manhattan Project, where you have scientists in there constantly tinkering, and they're trying to get new protein sources, and they're trying to drive down the price of this stuff so that it's cheaper than meat. Uh, and then finally, he talked about growing international demand, Europe, South Africa, South Korea, uh, parts of South America. But really, guys, the story of this particular earnings report was this huge jump and the gross profit margin, and they really do believe they can get to EBITDA break even by the end of the year. Wow. All right, Jane. Thank you. Great to see you in person. Thank you. Jane Wells. <laughs> Great having Guys. Jane on board. I know. I wish you were Jane. here. but She should be physically here. It would be amazing. It would be amazing. Sorry today. So what do you think of Beyond Meat? So you weren't here last night. Joe asked me the same question, and I said, and I would say it again. Last night he said, what do you do? I said, you know what? The stock IPO'd at 25, opened at 46. I said, even if you bought it at $50 the day that it went public, you're up double. Take half off. You're in the stock for free. And I stand by that. What do you do now? I think you layer out of this thing. I mean, you're talking about scientists making your food now. Think about what you just said. I know. Manhattan it's Beach disturbing. Project. Have you read disturbing the ingredient on a number of different Have you levels. read the ingredient list on this thing? Uh, yes. And you know the Key situation I had when I had the Beyond Meat Which is not a pretty burger. situation. The problem is when you get a deeper dive to the health, which is what you're talking about. Once you do a deeper dive into what they're actually made of, it's going to be worse for you than actual meat. But that's not the state we're in right now. I do believe that they have an incredible amount of competition going forward, but it doesn't seem to matter to them. 50% of their net sales is in supermarkets. A lot of the competition doesn't sell in the supermarkets. So I think right now, guys' advice to sell, sell, uh, take your chips off the table, play with the house's money. What about the possibility, though, like with QSR, when you're talking about somebody like Burger King with yeah. Impossible, right? So they, they've already kind of worked out something there. They got the Whopper, the special Whopper. What about a deal with McDonald's or somebody like that down the line? I mean, there there are possibilities that do exist for this company. You and do I, a Burger King deal, you're going to do a McDonald's deal? Do you think McDonald's will like Does McDonald's that same, do a deal yeah, with yeah. somebody? I, oh, with somebody, I, not, with somebody, but not the same Maybe vendor. Maybe or somebody. Yeah. Like, I mean, it could be very – I mean, there, I think there are possibilities that exist out there. That all being said, to your point, you've already taken – got to take some of that profit off the table. 
And that move in the options market, Mike Co talked about the other day, I think Mike actually totally nailed it. I think he said 12 to 15% move. There Stock's up 17 bucks, about a 15% move. All right, let's move on to Zoom earnings. That stock is also soaring in the after-hour session. Deidre Bose is in San Francisco with the details. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, Zoom and another newly public company, PagerDuty, both of them are continuing their climbs, and that's really widening the gap further between their successful IPOs and Uber and Lyft, which continue to struggle since their debuts. Zoom is up more than nearly 10 percent, I should say, in the after hours. Aside from continued profitability, the company is attracting bigger customers that are spending more money. So the group of customers spending more than $100,000 in trailing 12-month revenue, its biggest spending customers, grew 120 percent year over year. Tom Roderick, analyst at Stifel, says the results were really strong. He noted that Zoom Zoom is also growing its wallet share inside of those big customers quickly. He wants to hear more about its enterprise sales strategy on the call and if Zoom's advertising strategy now shifts because it's a public company. Now, Zoom has quickly become one of the most highly valued tech stocks on a price-to-sales ratio. PagerDuty, another newly public unicorn, has also taken off as a public company. It's continuing that streak in the after hours. It is currently up more than 2% on the back of its results, so it has given up some of its earlier gains as the analysts call kicked off guys all right deep thank you deirdre bosa in san francisco dan uh you know deirdre kind of nailed it at the very end you know it's one of the very most expensive companies in all of tech on a price to sales basis but here's the thing and this is one thing that obviously beyond tried to guide to to ebitda positive this company zoom is already ebitda positive this was a huge differentiator when they were going through their roadshow um, about a month or two ago um, so here's a company that yes has a very very expensive valuation on a price to sales, but if they can start actually booking real earnings, then it can kind of grow into that valuation. And I'll just say this, it's a very well-run company. I think talking to a lot of investors who were on this whole roadshow um, you know, thing that was going on over the last few months with a lot of, a lot of private companies that were really most impressed with this company. So to me, I that think that- growth that, rate though, can they continue that? I mean, is that something that concerns you? When 25% you talk- growth, sales growth a year for the next few years? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, right. this, is, this is like a, you know, just like all these other cloud-based uh, isn't it amazing though that this even existed though? Shouldn't there? Shouldn't Google have done this? Shouldn't Apple? Apple has FaceTime. Shouldn't they Apple have, it. have Google, done something? Yeah. But, but how, how does this yeah. even exist? Having said that, I don't think there's a need. We just signed up as a company, so we spent <laughs> a ton of dough on this, and it's something where you would think that no one wants to collaborate online. People want to text. People don't want to be yeah. seen. But people are out of the office. They work remote. Absolutely. As long as that is Absolutely. going on, you have people on all, all sides of the earth that want to chat. This thing makes a total total sense. I mean, we have a conference call twice a day for the show with all but you guys. We don't guys. see we each have other. It on video. Can you imagine if we zoomed it? Guy, I don't know if we want to do that. The guy's barely wearing. <laughs> he, he's not wearing pants all day. <laughs> I, I pants on. See, so you say that and people don't think a I buy pants. I have nice slacks on. It's true. He Beyond does have slacks. He does Beyond have slacks. slacks. <laughs> all right, we got to take a break. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yep, that's what bank stocks have looked like this month. And one top technician says the group is dead money, except for one stock. He'll give us the name and the trade. Plus... Are you a pothead, Farker? No, no. What? Sure, Greg. Well, Illinois just became the 11th state to legalize weed. And it could send one hot pot stock blazing higher. The CEO will be here to explain. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi 
Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it Fang's Fall from Grace, the tech giant, all in a, a tech giant's plural, I should say, all or near bear market down double digits from their 52-week highs as Washington regulators target big tech, those declines amounting to nearly half a trillion dollars in lost market cap as the scrutiny grows, with Google parent Alphabet taking the biggest hit of $173 billion just since April. So are these stocks dead money, Pete? I don't think they're dead money, but anytime it's regulatory issues, that is something that really does alarm me. And, and it's something concerning because if the government decides to get involved, that really does change the equation. This isn't any longer just about how these companies operate. It's how the government thinks they should be operating. And that's concerning to me when they decide to jump in there. So I'm more concerned, and, and rightfully so, I think, based upon what we're seeing, Google makes the most sense to me that they're, atta- they're getting the most attack. Mm-hmm. Facebook probably next. I own Facebook, so I'm not very happy about that. Netflix, on the other hand, I don't see that being as big of an issue because I think there's enough competition out there that that's less of an issue. So I'm still long Netflix. I don't plan on on getting rid of it anytime soon. Facebook's another one where I'm keeping a very close eye on it, but I don't think it's time to jump just because it's gotten pushed down. Uh, You guys are fan guys. I'm more of a MAGA guy. You know that. Um, So I think, you know, what's really interesting in this whole conversation is that Microsoft is really not going to have those same headwinds as far as regulation. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the relative strength by Microsoft is just um, crazy. I just want to say one thing about Netflix is that really interesting to me, that stock has been range bound in a very tight range. It showed this amazing relative strength. Obviously, it's kind of come back down from the year ago levels, but it doesn't seem too worried about this Disney threat. All right. Our next guest says Fang is dead money, with the exception of one stock. Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon, founder of TradingAnalysis.com. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa. Yeah, let's take a look at the original Fang here. And what I've done is taken a percent change chart from January of 2016. And this chart really kind of struck me. So Jan of 16 is somewhere in here. So this is like the zero line, right? So up to today, we have four stocks. Obviously, we have the haves and we have the have-nots. We've got, no surprise, Netflix. We've got Amazon. We've got Facebook and we've got Google. Google's only up like 30 or 40 percent uh, since 2016. It's amazing where Netflix is up by 225 percent. So what we're going to focus on, uh, Dan was just mentioning, a lot of relative strength in Netflix, but we'll get there. So let's get off of this and let's just take a look at the, uh, the FANG, this NY FANG index over Netflix. And before we do that, I want to make another point. A lot of people are talking about the underperformance of FANG in the last couple of months. It's been underperforming since 2018. If you were to put the NDX, the NASDAQ 100, on top of this, you will see that the NASDAQ made a new high where the FANG index has not made a new high. So you've had FANG underperforming vis-a-vis this index for a couple of years, a year and a half now. So I think that's pretty impressive. But Dan just hit the nail on the head there. This is Netflix in blue, showing a lot of relative strength to that FANG index. It is quiet, it is in a range, but obviously the market's in a lot of volatility right now. So 
if things were to stabilize, if this is not just a short covering rally, um, a break certainly above 380, very easy to say. That was going to be one of my talking points that, that uh, it's handled the Disney news of streaming extremely well. I'd expect the bottom to fall out of Netflix. So might be a little breakout trade through 380, and then you get that round number through 400, buy stops will go off. Uh, I think I'm going to take a shot there. Todd, does a trading range in and of itself make you believe that it will break out, or could it be in a range for a very it, long time? I mean, it can't be range-bound forever, right, especially especially a volatile stock like this. So, yes, ranges will end, especially in the massive swings that we've seen in the broader indexes. So the fact that it's not breaking down, yeah, I, I, I do think we eventually will break. We have to unless they delisted, which obviously that's not going to happen. All right, Todd, thanks. Good to see you. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. All right, that's a fair point. Trading ranges have to end. The question is, do you believe it will end to the upside or to the downside? Netflix it should end. It, it should conclude it to the upside. If you think about a trade, doesn't really, it's not much of a headwind yeah. for them. They get caught up in this, and anytime they sell off on trade, you should be a buyer of Netflix. There's no real negative trade influence for Netflix. And when you look at the FANG stocks, there's nothing on, uh, on Congress or on Capitol Hill that should affect Netflix. So I think they get thrown in. Every sell-off is a buying opportunity. Where Dan started the conversation about Disney, I think people are just going to have a bunch of these little packages where it's uh, streaming. They have $10 a month here, $15 a month there. So I don't think Disney is saying that people aren't going to have Netflix. They'll have both. I own Disney. I own Netflix. So I, I, I see the competition there, and I think at some point in time, Disney will start to really be a, something that's going to be a thorn in the side of Netflix. I just think that's down the line. That's why I think you can still own both, because Disney has enough other factors that are moving it to the upside. But Netflix, i got to tell you something, that competition is going to be real, and there's only so many dollars that can get spread out across the streaming world. Pete wasn't on our conference call today when you brought up Disney and the strength you saw there. It's, it's remarkable how well Pete wasn't on the conference call because we do the conference call while whilst whilst the, the halftime, halftime report, report is, is in, in progress session. so it would be yes. difficult for him to do both although i'm sure he'd be able to do it given the opportunity i could probably do it from with that said though it is the strength of disney has been pretty remarkable given the move we saw from 118 to 136 it hangs in let me say this about facebook though we mentioned it the other day you had a huge volume day a few days ago in facebook traded three and a half times normal volume 165 was a 50 percent correction of the december 24th low in the recent high i say if you want a risk reward for the first time in a while, I think Facebook shakes out pretty well on the long side. Yeah, so back to, obviously, MAGA. Um, we gotta, we got to talk about Apple in this conversation because I think what Steve was just saying about Netflix, they don't have to worry about trade and they don't have to worry about regulation. We know why um, Apple trades the way it does. It does trade on... On, on the trade issue. If that gets resolved, this stock is not going to have the regulatory issues, and that stock is back above $200 pretty quickly, in my opinion, because I think that they Why probably... Why wouldn't they have the regulatory issues? They, they, haven't they already said... Or they're out in reports. front of the privacy thing. I, I think that I think Tim Cook has set the agenda, and he's actually you know, really helped the regulatory framework of the way Washington is thinking about their competitors. I think they think that they have the hardware, they have the combination of the software, and they can dictate how their products are used. Coming up, it is shaping up to be a cruel summer for crude as the commodity slides deeper into a bear market this week. And you won't believe how low one of the traders sees it going. Plus, Google making a splash in the gaming world with its new Stadia streaming service. We'll bring you all the details on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is looking like the beginning of a cruel, cruel summer mm. for crude oil. Black gold is down almost 20 percent just in the last month as it crashes back towards lows of the year. And with crude in such a rotten rut, we thought it'd be the perfect time to play a little game of... Higher or lower! <laughs> I love this game. 
That's right. This is an easy game. So Don't worry, Guy. Very simple. We go around the horn. The traders will tell us where they think crude is going. It's either higher or lower. Mm. Straightforward, right? Pete, we're going to start with you. Do we expand on that or just give you a higher or lower? We'll do we'll a higher or lower around, higher. around we'll the start horn, off and then early. we'll discuss it. How's that? Higher. Giddy up. Grasso, what do you say? Lower. Uh, what? Also is? lower. Of course. Huh. Guy. Crude oil, we're talking about, right? Yeah. Higher or lower? <laughs> in, denominated in U.S. dollars? Higher, Mel. Higher. There, higher, you higher, go. higher. there you go. I know how to play so the game. So the outers say higher, the inners say lower. Yeah. Why lower? Could you have scripted a better scenario for a bullish market in crude? You have Iran, you have Venezuela, you have dirty oil in Russia. You have an umpteenth amount of reasons why you should be a buyer of it, yet it's collapsed. That's telling you something right there. So, yes, you could have a little bit of a pop here, but it breaks below 50, it's 42 next. What do you say to Grasso about I that? No, he makes a cogent argument. Obviously, crude should be Hope significantly higher given what we've seen geopolitically and otherwise. However, you had the president jawbone it lower, and now you have a Fed that's about to torch the U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar goes lower, commodities well, well, go hold higher. On a second. Why? I say higher. But, what, but everyone's Dan. been saying that about the dollar as rates have come in and as the Fed has gotten dovish, yet the Dixie, the dollar index, is down 1.5% from like multi year highs just the other day. So, I mean, so you're on the dollar side of it, where so are when you? I, where you I, listen, I'm also on the other side of it. I think rates are going lower. Um, I think the dollar is going to stay firm. I think these are like safe haven sort of situations. I think they're going to continue to have this weakening data that we just had uh, Jonathan Golub talk us uh, through in the A block. I just don't think that's bullish for crude right now. Yes, young man. At the I, end. Raise, I raise it's my very hand. Polite of you. No, because I want I don't interrupt. I like to be acknowledged when in okay. school that's what we used to do. There was a great group back in the 70s, the, the Carpenters. You recall the Carpenters? Karen Carpenter? Sure. Carpenter. Her brother. Why do you bring that up, yes. Guy? I'm glad Why? you asked, Mel, because one of their great songs was We've Only Just Begun. Oh, and yes, to, I recall and that to too. bring it back to Dan, in terms of the dollar going lower, Dan, We've only, only just begun, just and I can begun. thank you, Pete. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Why? why, why but why is that? He I thinks mean, the dollar's going to go lower. But to Steve's point, crude oil just dropped ten percent in a straight line. Rates are down, you know, one point ten. You know, you know, uh, one uh, a full point in in the last four months. Five but months. Sitting at support, and one of the other things Steve did mention, though, is he said if if. Yeah. It drops below 50, you think it goes lower. That was the if part of that whole statement, right? So if it starts to move higher, does it go back up and test in those 60s? I would say yes, I'm with you, Guy, because if you listen to Mike Wilson, who sits here constantly, whenever I'm here, he Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, he's like a little pal of mine. Yeah, he's pal of mine. He talks about the dollar all the time. And what does he say about the dollar, Guy? It's going down. It's going down. It's going lower. And by the way, Mel, quickly, yes. Palo Mine was a horse in the Sopranos, if you recall. It was running, I believe, at Belmont back in one of the episodes. Palo Mine. I'm with you, you but I don't know up. where you're going. I'm just telling you. I didn't know that. I don't think I needed to know that. You know Still now. ahead, this red-hot chip stock is soaring, and one trader just fed more than a million bucks. The rally will heat up this month. We'll tell you what has been so bullish. Plus, Google taking the gaming world by storm with its big streaming bet, Stadia. Does the tech giant have what it takes to get a one-up on the competition? We got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Google looking to revolutionize the gaming industry with Stadia, its new video game streaming service. Josh Lipton's got all the details from San Francisco. Josh. 
So, Mel, big news that could shake up the $166 billion video game industry. We just got more details about Google's new video game streaming service. It's called Stadia. It's going to launch in November in 14 countries, including the U.S., U.K., and Canada, with at least 31 games from 21 publishers. Starting today, you can pre-order what they're calling the Founders Edition package. So that includes some hardware, game controller, Chromecast streaming device, and three-month subscription. That's going to run you $130. Then starting next year, Google's going to offer the standalone service itself. That's going to be $10 per month. It's called Stadia Pro. For that, you can stream games in 4K video at 60 frames per second on your TV, your phone, tablet, or computer with a Chrome browser, as well as Pixel 3 and 3A smartphones. There will also be a free service coming, too. Now, importantly, Google doesn't see this as really a subscription service. Gamers should expect to buy, not rent these games. But the big idea here is giving gamers the ability to stream complex, graphics-rich games right to their devices. No pricey PC or console needed. So is this going to prove an immediate hit? Well, Baird's calling Sebastian, not so sure. He says the tech we see from Google is impressive, but the initial slate of content from the company, in his words, lacks punch. And remember, Google also has plenty of competition here. Amazon reportedly pursuing this same tech, and we know Microsoft is too, testing similar technology with its own employees right now. Software giant is preparing to launch the first public trials later this year. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. So if you were a tech giant going into a new business like a streaming gaming service and you're going up against tough competition, an important part of this would be good content. Right. What would you think they would do? So I would think that they would buy, good- I would think they would buy somebody. I would think that they mm. would buy either Electronic Arts or Take Two or Activision. Electronic Arts is actually outperforming the space. But I don't know when Josh just reported that what that service even is. So you have $10 a month, you don't get games, but you get the ability to stream games. That right. to me is confusing. I'm not sure that's a winning trademark already. Um, I'm, not, I'm not happy with that. You should get a host of games or a library that comes with that $10 a month or else it's not a real streaming event. It's just somehow taking $10 from each month. Right. I'm not sure if Google's in this for necessarily well, the stream of revenue at this point. It's probably a broader uh, strategy. When yeah. you think about one of the things that really accelerated Amazon's push into this space was when they bought Twitch. And yeah. so when you think about YouTube as embedded in Google, that's a huge thing. A lot of gamers go and they're watching how-to videos on YouTube. They're spending a lot of time. I think it just makes a stickier sort of ecosystem. And it's obviously content. And that's what Google kind of sells ads off of, off of content. So to me, I think it fits into the thing. I doubt it's going to uh, move the needle anytime soon. Yeah, quickly. I think take too quickly at 22 times forward earnings stock has bounced i think that's where to be but the loser in this clearly continues to be gamestop which was a 45 dollar stock in 2016 and closed it basically with a five handle today probably headed even lower than that all right another stock on the rise in the gaming space advanced micro getting an upgrade from morgan stanley this morning sending one bull stampeding into the options market one big bet on this chip maker dan why don't you walk over to the plasma show us the action yeah sure so it was an advanced micro devices guy what do we call that one amd that's right this stock has been an absolute monster and it's been a massive outperformer relative to the semiconductor space this year it's up 72 percent of the year option volume went crazy today it was about two times average daily volume call volume is two times that of puts on a day like Mel just said. Morgan Stanley, a prior 
bear is turning bullish. Here's the thing. With this stock's performance, it still doesn't have all of Wall Street um, analysts on board here. I think there's more holds and sells or twice as much than there are buys in this thing. But there was one trade that caught my eye. The stock obviously has some momentum. It was a bullish roll in June expiration. It's about two more weeks left. When the stock was about 31.50 before noon today, there was a seller of 8,000 of the June 30 calls to close, but they rolled that up to the June 32 and a half calls, buying 12,000 of those for $1.04. Those break even at 33.54. That's up about 6.5% from the trading price, but this thing got going. It closed up 8% on the day. Um, we have a chart here. It broke out of a really nice consolidation. This is what I was talking about, about this relative strength relative to the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor space, which is down 16% from its all-time highs in a little less than two months. Look at this breakout. It was on big volume here. This is the prior multi-year high just below um, 35. But let's go to the four-year chart here. This thing has obviously been amazingly volatile. Last year, it broke out above that level. It nearly doubled. We did have a 50% peak to trough decline in the uh, Q4, but this thing has been moving higher here. So what are people excited about? The company a couple weeks ago announced that they have some new desktop chips coming out. They have some new server chips coming out in Q3. And then they just signed earlier this week a licensing agreement with Samsung for some mobile chips. So they got a lot of things going on right now. And we know that Intel has been tripping up on some of these things. So the momentum's here. When this company reports at the end of July, if it's back near multi-multi-year highs, you may want to be playing further momentum with defined risk like this trader was doing today. The biggest concern I have is that these guys are finally stepping up and saying, hey, you know what, I think AMD is going to finally move. As a matter of fact, just last week that stock was trading at 27. Buyers, 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 buyers. I jumped in. Now I'm already out. I'm out today. Would I want to get back in? Maybe. But you know what? I think you're actually starting to reach because the stock has made this move up towards 32, and it was just trading 27 a week ago. So I think you'd want to hold back and see if this thing gives you any kind of a pullback. All right. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. And in the meantime, get your fix at optionsaction.cnbc.com. Coming up, Illinois becoming the 11th state to pass a bill legalizing recreational marijuana. The CEO of one of the biggest pot companies will tell us who could be the next to give the green light to cannabis. More Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks blazing this year. Check out some of the names up more than 50 percent and things could get even hotter for these pot powerhouses. Illinois becoming the 11th state to pass a bill legalizing recreational marijuana use, which would go into effect January 1st, 2020. Let's bring in Charles Bachtel. He's the co-founder and CEO of Cresco Labs, one of the largest multi-state operators in the country, headquartered in Illinois. Charlie, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Um, So what are you doing to gear up for Jan 1, 2020 in terms of your own company? You know, without a doubt, uh, expansion, CapEx, you know, the, the supply that's going to be needed to meet that demand. You're talking about a state that is going from a relatively conservative medical program. We have about 70,000 patients in it currently to the fifth largest state in the country, 13 million people, over 100 million tourists a year that anybody over the age of 21 are going to have access to the program. We think it's a 10 to 20x um, over the current size of the, uh, the medical market. Um, Illinois is one of the biggest or will be one of the biggest marijuana markets in the country by state. And and so I'm I'm thinking of the example of California. Everybody looked at California thinking that's going to be one of the biggest markets in the country. And the tax revenues were really disappointing for the first full year of full legalization in 2018. a big part of that was this thriving black market. And, and a big part of the bull thesis for pot companies and, and pot investors is the notion that you can convert every dollar in the black market to a dollar in the white market, in the legal market. Sure. 
Um, how do you view that in Illinois uh, and, and the rest of the country, for that matter, in terms of that thesis and, yeah. and where we are in cracking down on the illegal sales? So uh, great question. And, and one of the biggest distinguishing factors between what we saw in California and what we're going to see in Illinois, California sort of put regulations in place for the first time. Right. Uh, Illinois already changed the way that medical cannabis was done. It really created Gen 2 of medical cannabis, which was highly regulated, compliance focused and these limited licenses. So it's a very controlled program, it is a very professional, um, well run program. So we're building on the back of that type of a program. Um, and, you know, the, the legislature did a great job of marrying um, increased opportunity, increased uh, access, uh, points of sale, um, while at the same time, um, really giving the current operators, the current infrastructure, the opportunity to be first to market. Because um, we have the infrastructure in place. We can flip the switch Jan 1, 2020, as opposed to having to go through an application process and have new people get onboarded and, and get up to speed, which they will. Mm -hmm. But the current infrastructure is there to take care of that from day one. So from an illicit market standpoint, you know, I think we have a great chance of converting a lot of the uh, incumbent illicit market because uh, Illinois doesn't have its own inherent illicit market. That's all imported from out of state. So as soon as we get our infrastructure and our, our adult use program launched, we give, uh, uh, we give residents in Illinois a great opportunity so to participate. unlike in California, for instance, where they actually yeah, grow absolutely. the product there, in Illinois it'll be easier to sort of to get rid of that illicit market. You're a multi-state operator, though. Um, where are you facing some challenges? Where do you see the most opportunity? Uh, in, in various states? Yeah, so our thesis really lies in, we, we, we look at the regulatory structure first and foremost. We like regulation, we like there being obligations on the operators, we like controls in place, um, and then we look for big populations. So, you know, of our 11 state footprint, seven of the 10 most populated states in the U.S., and then the other four have very, you know, high strategic value to Nevada with Las Vegas, right. Massachusetts with adult use. Is New use. York going to happen? Yeah, you know, New York, New York will. And that's one of the great things about uh, Illinois pulling this off. First state to ever uh, pass a robust uh, regulated adult use cannabis program through the legislature. And so I know that the, the conversations in Albany and likewise in New Jersey lately have been, can you do this? Right. Or does this need to be a ballot initiative? Illinois has shown them you could do this through the legislature. Charlie, great to have you with us. Thank you. Come back soon. Thank Charlie you Bactel of Cresco. Grassley, you've been trading this space. So Kronos uh, yesterday had a headline that uh, B of A upgraded it on its potential in CBD. So if you look at it, it's up over 50 percent. Uh, Char Charles' stock is up over 50 percent as well. You have to buy the top best in breed names. You have to buy the large cap much. names Appreciate here. It. They're the ones that are going to gobble up all the smaller names. So just stick, instead of sticking with one name, Buy a couple of these names. Make your own um, uh, CBD ETF or pot or cannabis ETF. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Pete. They're coming after the yellow metal. Get long, GLD. Giddy up. Steve. Google needs content by EA, Electronic Arts. Wow. Dan Nathan. Uh, you know, I know Guy loves these big box retailers. Sure. Okay, Guy? I love Which them. Which one? Me? Most of the retail spaces just looks like death. I think you sell the XRT on any rally. Mm. So Dan's coming me. after me for my final trade, but I, the, a mea culpa. I knew you were going to do Mine was a honeymoon. It was Pio Mine with Sopranos. The Twitter people. Pio Ralph Cramden killing me. I know. Ralph Cramden. Ralph Cramden. He's Mark a dust Carney. Jane Meadows. Well, you're trying to fill my what, head with huh? fake, fake. Jane Costco. Meadows. Remember the other day Carterworth said Costco? Yes. Carterworth's smart man. All right. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.